Why, hello, and welcome to season 27, episode 11 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Stork. I'm Claire. And I'm Clara. Oh, that's not going to be confusing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm CB. (laughs) (laughs) All right. In this episode of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, Andrew writes in about episodic games, or episodic games, in uh, with a background arc. Derek writes in about animal companions. That's actually a response to something we said about animal companions before. Uh, Byron writes in about his pickup game phobia. And Eric from New Jersey writes in about teaching a crunchy system with online gaming. But first, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. We're on the social meteors, happyjacksrpg, all one word. On Twitter, happyjacksrpg, all one word. And Instagram, Happy Jacks RPG, all one word. And Facebook, Happy Jacks RPG, all one word. And MeWe, Happy Jacks RPG, all one word. And we also do a live stream, happyjacks.org slash live. All one word. On seven, at 7 p.m., 7.04 p.m. Pacific time. And you can go to happyjacks.org slash live and watch us as we do the show there. And that's that's that. Uh, should, here. I, I, should I start? Right here or there? Should right I start here. with the first one? I'm here. Unless You're someone, there. I'll we're read. all, you know, everywhere. We're all, we're all here. Episodic okay. games with background plot from Andrew. Hello, happiest of jackers. Oh, I almost forgot. I wrote two books, and you can buy them on Amazon right now. <laughs> and I think, I think the the audio version, the audible version of the first book, if it gets approved, will be up sometime this coming week. Otherwise, it'll be another month because I have to fix some kind of fuck up. And then I haven't even started recording this one yet, but they're both available right now on Amazon as ebooks and print on demand books. What are they about? Uh, it's about, about a mage. 250 pages. Uh, each, yeah, they're about. Um, they're, it's about a, a mage named Mandite, who you might remember from uh, a D&D campaign. I don't know if you recall him, but uh, he's. Uh, n- this is sort of like his, I guess, origin story for the game. But it's uh, what led him to become the person he was within the, within that campaign. And he's a mage, and he was exiled because he's kind of a dick, and he likes to experiment, and he's not really that good, and he missed a lot of schooling, so he's kind of he has a lot of gaps in his knowledge, and so he's he's just he's not really the he's surrounded by people who are much better at magic than he is. I'll put it that way. Okay. And they're getting him out of trouble because he's. Right now he's in kind of a pathetic place, and I just uh, I finished the third book. It's off being proofread. I'll get it back probably this weekend, and I just started the fourth one. So wow, nice, you damn! Really yeah. have a lot of stories all piled up there. Oh yeah, I've been trying to write novels since college. Yeah, the first one I first first one I wrote was fuck nineteen eighty seven. So uh, episodic games uh, with background plot. Uh, happy, happy Jackers. I uh, hope this e- email reaches you healthy and safe. This is from Andrew. Uh, I wanted to help contribute to fixing an email sh- any email shortages you might have by looking for advice on a new game I am starting. I decided that rather than try to formulate a special campaign, I would just run a more episodic Monster of the Week style game. From what I can tell, there seems to be two important factors to do something like this. I base this on what I have seen in any good TV series. The first thing you need to have... The first thing you need is to have uh, character development in each episode, and second is to have a metaplot running in the background to bind all of the episodes together. For the most part, this all sounds like just setting up a bunch of one-shots with a, a way around making characters each time. Way around making characters each time. Yeah, so you're not making up new characters every oh, time. You're oh, just right, doing right, one right, shots, right. but it's the same characters. Right. Uh, I have done exactly this in the past, and it works out okay, but the enthusiasm for the game peters out rather quickly. I think that the key to fixing... Ah. <laughs> 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 that was... That was interesting. My, my uh, tripod... For my phone, just decided to jo- dive off of the TV. 
so I love it. Hi. Hi. That reminds me of the, gr the greatest moment in podcast history was when Leo Laporte, who used to sit on one of those Pilates exercise <laughs> yes. balls, and it blew up in the middle of the <gasps> show, and they left it in when they did the podcast version of it, and it literally, it, I thought someone had rear-ended me. It was this big, loud, crashing boom, and then you hear microphones thump around, and people start laughing, because they're, they're on video, at, at least when they're recording it. And he's, and he's like, I don't know what happened. My my exercise ball just blew up. <laughs> That's like a great fear of mine is the thing I'm sitting on, just collapsing under me. <laughs> I had one of the, I had that happen because I used to sit on one when I recorded. And someone else was using it behind me and there was something sharp and it dug into it and made this little tiny cut. And the, But it didn't go down. I think, it, I think it was Heather. And she it went down rather quickly, but not like super fast. But like it took like three seconds for her to fall, and she's like, <laughs> it <was> awesome. "Anyway, <laughs> enough about that." Melts out of frame. That's hysterical. Uh, I really think that the key to fixing this—that he's he's talking about players not having enthusiasm for what is ostensibly mm -hmm. a series of one shots—are uh, two things mentioned earlier: character development and a meta plot. So here is where I find an issue. This isn't a script, but rather a bunch of highly distractible murder hobos with access to fire. Well, they all have access to fire, and they always use it. Uh, this is a slight exaggeration, of course. No, it's not. Uh, my players are usually fairly good about the roleplay, but even great <laughs> players are seduced by the ways of chaos. <laughs> For example, maybe some players find some rhinos and destroy everything in their path. <laughs> well, there's that. Yeah, who, who would be stupid enough to give uh, players a bunch of rhinos? Right? Uh, that would be weird. I am all for the craziness, and it makes funny stories a, a lot of the time, but the whole point of it being episodic is to wrap everything up in a neat bow at the end that just has enough thread on it to tug, tug at later. Uh, that all seems hard enough, but this seems much harder when thinking of character development aspects of things. In a TV series, the personal event for the character arises and, at least mostly, comes to a conclusion by the end of the episode. This is all done while still making every character important to the situation and usually tied right into what is going on. Uh, what is going on, even if the topics are completely unrelated. Is there any way to accomplish this kind of resolution in a session without railroading so hard that I have to bring in scripts for my players and rename them all actors? Uh, what are some of your experiences with running or playing in episodic games? How do you get a nice meta plot going through the campaign? Should it be premeditated, or should I let the winds of fate decide and hope it all works out? Thank you all thank you all so much for what you do as a non-essential essential worker your podcast has helped immensely in keeping my sanity through these trying times Aww. i really can't thank you all enough andrew pre-obligatory ps this was a bit on the long side no not even close and got sappy <laughs> at the end so drink he wrote that part when he was sober uh actually actual obligatory ps uh, is there any word on when the setting books for Moment of Truth will be out? I'm writing other stuff right now. I've been to I have told my friends about Dark Fantasy of Orcs coming into our world, and more importantly, about your space adventures that are so pulpy it's practically an unsqueezed orange. Uh, thanks. Uh, there has been a lot of interest in, in getting to play these games, especially the latter. I, I will wor start working on those again, probably as soon as the this book series is done. I think I've got one and a half more books to write um, maybe two and a half so but that but that that is on my list of my long list but it is there and one of them is practically done I just have to go through and edit it because it right now it's like 300 pages long so that's 300 eight and a half by 11 pages so it probably that probably translate to about a 450 or 500 page actual book which is ridiculous. I think I read today that Tad Williams just broke the record for the longest fantasy novel ever written. And see, he's written some really thick books, but I didn't read the full article, but I was like, he's so long-winded. And I'm not even sure that's a, a prize you want to win. No. Like, oh, really? <laughs> Amongst all the Tolkien's and the Shannara Stones and right. you got the longest? Okay. Everyone's, everyone says they read Ulysses, but like, I didn't. did you enjoy it? <laughs> 
no. right? Or the Iliad. You don't really enjoy it. It's just I don't. I, I read it for class, so yep. If it's everybody too, does. If it's too thick yeah. of a, I read the I read the cliff notes. If it's too, well, do, they have, do they still have? Do they still have cliff? Do they still have cliff notes? Do you guys know what cliff mm-hmm. notes are? Wait, what? Oh. Yeah, cliff notes. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I wasn't sure if they were still around because there's an internet now. and You don't really uh, need it. Cliff and Spark Notes. I don't know the difference, but they yeah, exist. Yeah, just two different companies. Yeah, just two different companies. Yeah. yeah, it's like Xerox and that other one. <laughs> <laughs> Brother. Right, all right. So episodic games. I have a question. He's running episodic games. Why does everything have to be wrapped up by the end of the episode? That was my question. Is he cha- if he's changing if it's like a pool because I tried this once with Ashes of Exodus and it never worked out because it's seven or eight people who said they wanted to play but we were never able to get like the five we needed to actually do it because when there was an too many people suddenly no one feels the obligation to actually commit you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and i was trying when i when i when i ran that game because that was oh god what three years ago four years ago that was a long time ago now but when i ran that game um i tried to wrap everything up at the end of each episode and it proved impossible because there were some players who would do something that would be dramatically it would basically it basically would break the conceit I came up with that kept it episodic because the whole mm. whole point of the thing was everyone who's got a player character whether they're playing in what whatever session they're playing in is all a member of the crew of a, of a starship and they're going from planet to planet, getting into adventures. And the adventures are short and quick, and they're doing them. And then they had one where something bad happened, and they decide they needed to ditch their ship someplace and get on transports and go two systems away. So the next session, it's like, okay, now I've got a split party. Because I've got that some was, people... It was Rob, if I remember Rob. correctly. It was Rob. <laughs> yes. It was Rob. I've got... Oh, he completely, like, railroaded everybody. Everybody, we gotta run! We gotta go! We gotta hide! We split! And it's like... Uh, uh, yeah. Right. So oh, okay. everyone so, went. Everyone went to. Everyone in that session went to another planet. But the next session, I've got some people who are probably still on the ship, and then yeah. people hiding two planets over, and it's like. Oh, I, uh, <laughs> it was very <laughs> well, frustrating. That does kind of bring up what my 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 suggestion was to him, and I'm not sure if it if it fully solves this solution, which is if you. If you set up a situation like you did, Stu, where you have a team of people, or um, like I did with Mission Impartable, where it's uh, it's just a group of people that are basically working for another company uh, or a or an agency or a college or something, and right. they're being sent out on these adventures, you can sort of keep them as a one-shot. And the beauty of that is that they do their little adventure, you can wrap it up, the adventure up in a little bow, and then when they come back, you either can spend a whole episode or even part of the same episode or the same scene doing the character development in between the adventures like when they come you know they come back to home base and they can start they can talk about stuff and debrief or go shopping or uh hook up or uh, it allows for that that space that's not essential in the middle of the of the mission to to follow up on some things um it's also just a way of like you said you can now have one shots and they have a, a reason for being a one shot because each each thing is an individual mission, as opposed to trying to come up with a one-shot and figuring out why all the people would be there again. Right. So, my, uh, like, my question is obviously, like, why, again, why do you want it to be episodic? Um, I think it'd be really fun to have run, like, Second Star or, um, like you said, uh, another space adventure as one-shots, because, you know, that's what the, the, that was what the episodes were like. Um, I don't know how popular of an idea this ever is with anyone but if you go in before the game even starts kind of with the agreement that you guys are going to do only one shots or this is how you want to run the game people are more on board when they know what you're up to um it's like i've run i've run games like that where our characters come back but the every 
game is kind of a standalone because of that situation where we're not sure who's going to be able to make it. And it's just... I mean, if you agree ahead of time, that's what it's going to look like. It makes life just that much easier. Um, as far as organizing your game in a way that you'll have kind of a series arc, you could always sort of... Um, who was it? Jameson showed me the trick where you just write a couple secrets at the beginning of each game and if pe your players don't discover them you can kind of carry it through each episode for them to discover or if they change so as it goes that secret and those um, discoveries kind of morph in a way that feels like you planned it the whole time right yeah, I'm, um, I'm actually doing a one shot. It's 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 a basically a series of one shot. It's a lot like what um, he's doing um, with my family right now, where we we all have the same characters, but we also all have different availability. So um, because of that, we actually. <laughs> So we had a game, um, like one game where, you know, w that had all seven of us. And then um, one, y you know, we did an offshoot with just five of us. And so we like paused that action and continued on in a different action. Um, what I find is that um, it can be really fun. Um, you, you, you skip the, if you don't like town bits, if you're just wanting to hack and slash. Um, it, it gets you to combat really quickly. You can skip the, um, you know, talk, the, the negotiating. Talking part, with, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. What? The skip talking the role play, part. just go to the action. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please, like, watch please a stop. modern movie. It's like, what's all this exposition? <laughs> please, please stop talking That's to my experience part. points. Yeah, and we can tell what kind of player I am. I, I like to kill shit. That's, that's what I like. But, um, but... Uh, at the same time, it requires that the DM and um, Dio and I are switching off be super organized. Um, you have to you have to have notes. Um, we're and we're also using a mat, which actually is a lot easier because we can just take a picture of like where are all the baddies, where are all the uh, where are all the characters, where are all the obstacles, and then oh, it's oh, where were we? That was a month ago. Oh. Uh, I've got it on my phone. Okay, and you know, so that 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 ends up working out really well. Um, the only thing is, again, we're not getting that fun our uh, actual role playing done. So, right. So when he when when now when he's talking about coming up with like a like a through line or a, an over over overarching storyline that connects them all together, myself. I end up doing that anyway. Even when I'm trying to run a game that doesn't, that is, like when I was running Ashes of Exodus, I was trying to keep it episodic. But I think some of the players, what is it called, Paradolia, when the players are looking for patterns, even though there's not patterns there, and they start finding connections, and they start talking about, oh, this might be a conspiracy, because this happened at this planet, and this happened at this planet, and they may be related to each other. And of course, then my brain goes, well, that'd be kind of really cool if they were related to each other. I think they are now. So <laughs> so I think, I, my my personal opinion on, on coming up with that, over, that sort of overarching story is... Let see if that happens on its own. See if it happens naturally or organically. Yeah. And, and again, oh. like my my example, if you're using like an agency, like think of Monsters Inc. Right? These guys were working for an agency, going into these little kids' rooms and scaring them and everything. But behind the scenes, there was this other overarching plot that was going on that they stumble into. So you could easily do something like that if your team is like Mission Impossible, or if it's a fantasy thing, they're working for the king or Duke, but the, the spy master is you know manipulating things behind the scenes for another reason. Um, there's all kinds of stuff you can do that each one of those episodes. Will will add into or add up to? Yeah, I'm. Uh, Claire just described like, oh yeah, I paint a Monet. Uh, you know, I paint a Da Vinci masterpiece every night, and I'm like, I have finger paints. Um, <laughs> I yeah, I'm with Stu. Let your players come up with your plot. Like, if someone oh, says sure. like, oh, I believe that. I, I bet they're working with so and so. You're like, they t they totally are. I planned that the whole time. I am so smart, <laughs> and. Uh, then you will be. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Uh, my for the first campaign I ever ran, I was playing with um, a lot of fantasy nerds, but like two veterans and all noobs. And um, 
they kept they kept coming up with these amazing plot twists that I was like, I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> so that's what we're going with. <laughs> Sorry, maybe. I, you know, I, oh, go. Sorry. What? Well, I just I think that that um, that can be a good um, a good way to kind of make them feel involved too. If I may be super salty, um, unlike certain television writers, as DMs, I think our audience will tell us what they want, and if they guess your twists, that means you did you laid those out correctly. Good for you. Period. Don't try to stump your players because they're or your audience because it's they uh, are smart. Reward them. Yep. That was a mistake I made early on as a kid, as a GM. Was was if my players figured out what was going on, I would modify it before they had a chance to solve it. Which, in hindsight, is a dick thing to what do. A it's dick. like it why is. You, it totally you, is. Why don't you let them win? <laughs> What'd you say, Stu? That is a dick move. The only time I've done that is if I'm running a one-shot at a con and they figured out in the first hour. <laughs> nah, you just I have them. done that. You just I make them that. go the other way. Do it backwards. Right. Um, now, he, he also asks about character development. I kinda, I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion that character development more relies on the players than it does on the GM. The GM needs to, A, needs to have space for it. And I think the GM should also let the players know, I will be creating space, I will be creating lulls in the story, so if anyone wants to have an NPC from their past come in or something, and there, there again, I'm not sure why it ha- that has to be resolved in the one session, unless that player is not going to be in the next next game. you know. Right, and some players are going to want more uh, character development than others, you know. Right. I, I'm going to pick on Claire because she she mentioned it, but you know some people just want to kill shit, and yeah. other people other people want to shop, and so it's going to seem like some players are just hogging more of the spotlight, and people who want to kill shit are waiting for the shopping expedition to get done. So sometimes that's a real balancing act. But Stu's right. If you leave the space for it, the ones that want to do something will do something, and the other ones will say, you know, I killed my family. I don't care. Let's move on. I have no. <laughs> I was gonna say, if your players are murder hobos, uh, sorry, murder tourists, then they're gonna be murder tourists. I don't know if there is a a, a cure for that. Uh, I don't understand how Claire and I are playing a game together now because I would be the player who writes an essay like, "Here are all the people we've killed already. Please just give up." <laughs> like, I'm going through Descent into Avernus now. We're at the very end, and there was like a little twist, and my character just, uh, my warlock just sat down. I was like, I'm done. Fuck this. <laughs> so do you, do you remember who instigated the fight with the vampire in our last session? I was playing to a character. <laughs> Wait, no, no I, you did. You did. <laughs> I did. I goaded him into fighting. So, that's yeah, absolutely that's true. How that's okay. how we're playing in a game together. I don't like fighting. <laughs> Right. Well, hopefully we answered your questions. Andrew, thank you for the email. Uh, who who yes. wants to read the Animal Companions from Dirk? Dirk. I will, okay. I, since I was there for that first email. Why not? Dear Jackers of the Happy, I'd like to respond to the Animal Companions discussion in Happy Jack's uh, RPG 2702. In the discussion on how to handle Animal Companions, the entire discussion seemed to be on how to prevent players from exploiting the Animal Companions to prevent risk, etc., well, and that's fair. We kind of did. We were like, yeah. Um, I disagree both with the key problem is and the proposed solution. Thus, you cleverly tricked me into feeding the hunger for emails to feed your podcast. Clever, I say. First of all, what is the problem? <laughs> your focus seems to be on the players taking too much advantage, exploiting the heck out of having the animal companion. If that is the key problem, then dare I say you are playing with the wrong players. To me, the main problem seems to be that it almost unavoidably steals spotlight from the other players. Suddenly, the player with a companion has twice as many things to do as the other players. I've been guilty of this as a player. Depending on the party dynamics, this may or may not be a problem. Therefore, I believe your solution tackles the wrong problem, and having the GM, e.g., play the paladin's horse seems a poor choice, since it, it, one, adds workload to the GM, and two, since it is a trained war horse under most circumstances, it is entirely realistic to expect it to behave behave with... uh, 
behave its rider. Oh, yeah, okay. That makes sense. It's entirely realistic to expect it to behave its rider. I would, however, request appropriate roles, e.g. the horse riding skill, to keep control of the animal if dramatic stuff happens, explosions, dragons, undead, etc. Only when failing these roles does the GM go and take control of the horse. I do fully agree that they're having an impact to the PC if the animal gets hurt, dies, etc. So, but assuming your group does not consist of 16-year-old munchkins, is that really something that needs to be enforced? In my experience, as long as the animal is more than a bag of stats <laughs> and gets RP'd as having a character of its own, this is something that happens naturally. In fact, I would suggest that trying to throw house rules at this only gets in the way. Now, for a small anecdote. In a long-running WHFRP, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay campaign, I played an unemployed coachman who fell in with a group that was reluctantly trying to deal with some nasty chaos incursions. At some point, as a reward for the party's efforts, he won a trained war dog that we named Bruno. Although Bruno seemed like a well-trained dog at first, we soon realized that there was a reason that Bruno's previous owners were happy enough to give Bruno up as a prize. See... Bruno was a somewhat enthusiastic war dog. In our first fight, therefore, thereafter, with a horde of skeletons, the type with an unfortunate tendency to not stay in their coffins, but rather go wandering and try to bite stuff, Bruno was in absolute heaven. I failed the animal handling role, and the GM took control of Bruno for that moment. We spent most of that fight trying to protect Bruno when he had thrown himself <laughs> the thick of things again and more uh, to fetch more bones. And luckily, at the end, all got to walk away from it. Finding some parting for Bruno became my immediate priority after that, as this had all been for hairier, far hairier than I would have liked. Oh, and Bruno had more bones to chew on than he could count, being the bestest dog. He's the good boy. Not much later, we encountered a minor chaos demon. Well, minor may sound cute and harmless. This is not exactly the case. Major demons rip up armies. Minor demons happily rip up parties. We had, however, no choice but to stand and fight. I told Bruno to kill and attack. And Bruno, being that crazy maniac, happily did so. Appropriate roles were made and passed, with a dog trying to chew his way through his leg and the party overall doing quite well in the combat. The demon eventually tried to escape through a portal to the Chaos Wastes, someplace no human in their right mind would ever want to go, Oops. and even fewer would return with their right mind. In the chase to the portal, I was only seconds too late to give Bruno the recall command, who proceeded to happily leap through the portal after the demon. We were having a big argument on whether or not we were going to follow Bruno, knowing full well it was probably suicide, but my PC did not care. This argument got cut short when we heard a cheerful woof as Bruno leapt back through the portal, seemingly quite unscathed from the horrors that surely must lie in wait on the other side, and happy as a clam. Ever since, we have all been worried that Bruno being potentially infested from this foray into the chaos ways, and Bruno, well, stopping Bruno from attacking demons turned out to be quite a challenge thereafter. My point with the above, having the GM take control when die rolls or situations give cause for it added a lot of hilarity and role-playing opportunities. And with Bruno being such a character, my PC and several others would have died trying to save him. Bruno did sometimes get quite a bit of spotlight, but I do not think it was game-breaking. As far as min-maxing goes, Bruno was nowhere near as effective as any of the PCs, being a mere dog, or at least starting out as a mere dog. Whether he was still a mere dog... We never did find out. Best regards, Dirk. P.S. Drink. P.P.S. If I ever hear Stu's stupendously oversized city map anecdote as a response to, does online gaming work, I will scream. First of all, it was a clear case of understandable user error, but and as with anything there. new, such things happen as part of the learning process. It says very little about the usefulness of online gaming. Furthermore, <laughs> it was years and years ago. You could do better than that. I have more thoughts on how to best use it, uh, best use Roll20, but I think it's been discussed to death in the past few podcasts already. Agreed. So, it's Stu, the- can you tell me about the stupendously oversized oh, yeah. I made a, I made a map. It was like 16 gigabytes, and it was an entire city but you could zoom in Do you hear that? You hear that? To make it screaming. Com- yeah, it's him screaming. <laughs> I, you could zoom I'm in trying to, com- to combat not scream. Level. It was <laughs> awesome. It, if it had worked, it would have been the just amazing cuz it had the whole the whole campaign took place inside the city. 
And so every build, building was detailed, and the whole thing had a hex map you could barely see when you zoomed out to look at the whole city. Oh, my but God. But when you zoomed all the way in, each hex was a meter or two meters, whatever the group Did scale was. Did you make was. it on Incarnate, or...? I'm, I'm, no, I made it uh, campaign cartographer. Okay. And uh, then I uploaded it, and then it wouldn't work. <gasps> because... It was a 16 gig image file. <laughs> well, that'll do it. That's it was probably years, years ago, and, and I and bet you it doesn't. Like I'll bet gigs. you it wouldn't matter if I tried it today either. I still you probably wouldn't work. Chop it up and add it when necessary. Oh, but it would have been so um, and I, convenient. And actually, I do recommend Incarnate. I'm trying to remember how it's spelled. I n k a r n a t e. I think. Yes, Incarnate, like, like Incarnate, but with a k, with a k instead of a c. Um, I do recommend Incarnate for building maps. Um, we're actually doing that um, in my uh, that same family campaign, um, and it's it's awesome. Uh, you can put hexes. You can decide how long. You can make your own continents. You can make your own cities. You can so it's pretty cool. Is it easier to use in campaign t- cartographer? I've never used campaign that thing, cartographer. That thing's so. a that thing's a bitch to use. It's really hard. The learning curve is super steep for that shit. The, the nice thing about Incarnate is that you can um, you can share maps with with like collaborators. You can also upload them to a library, and it's all online. So like you, there's no uploading a map, and it, like it's already there. Right. So cool. When the world ends, you guys are going to have such a hard time playing games. I'm telling you that now. <laughs> <laughs> when the world ends and, and then uh, whatever descendants come and find us, they're going to find these maps and think that they actually existed. Yes. And they're going to spend a lot of time trying to... Look at the lost city. city. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm just th- saying. Now, Stork, Fear uh, of the mind, bitches. <laughs> Stork and I have already weighed in on Animal Companions. Do, do either of you have any opinions on them? The, the original clever anecdotes. The original email, uh, people were being a little gamey with it, if I recall the original email. People yeah. were basically using so, it as a, as a way to... Oh, there, there's danger? Well, send the animal companion. That kind of thing. You know the flock of sheep uh, tactic. Right. Well, the, um, the one of the first games I played in, um, it was, actually, I think it might have been my first. Um, the Druid, uh, this was uh, in 3.5. So Me too! At, aw, um, I wasn't a Druid. I was a cleric fighter, but... Um, no, never mind. No, the, 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 the Druid... At level, I think it was five or six at this point, um, got an animal companion, and then we leveled up to like ten, and wherever you can, he awakened it. So now, he was literally playing two characters. Um, And I feel like that was probably probably a goof on the part of the DM. Um, I don't think... I I, I think that giving a character... um, an animal companion that that has such high intelligence is probably just asking for trouble. Um, like dog, do, it should it should be a pet animal, like dogs or cats or a squirrel or you know, it shouldn't be like a dolphin or a shark or you know. I don't know how you would have a. They're they're, they're going to make a mermaid RPG. You and I will talk. Um, or a pirate so. RPG. So. <laughs> um, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Claire. No, that was it. That was that was my anecdote. Uh, I played a druid my very first D and D game, and I and I have never seen a player who used their animal companion that often. And I'm not that person. Uh, we reg- I forget about my familiars all the time. Uh, I was going to say, did you have to be reminded that you had a familiar? I had to be reminded. Actually, I was actually pretty decent with the druid, uh, but like. I, I have a familiar in my current game, in, like, two of my current games, and I I don't know what they do. Um, that said... Yeah. <laughs> I have a familiar um, for the first time in our game, and I'm like, oh, right, I have a familiar. It's there. It's been there. Uh, <laughs> it blinks into existence. Yeah. That said, and I feel like this is my answer for almost all of these, like, every email we get, I just, just put a, up a disclaimer. DMs, talk to your players. <laughs> period. If you don't like how your player is playing something, if your players don't like how a story is, be- someone is taking over a story, talk to them. It's collaborative storytelling for a reason. So, like, I've had games where there are players who just sort of uh, grab the spotlight. And it's not because they are trying to or they're being dicks about it. 
It just happens that they are playing the face character or they are more extroverted than everyone else at the table. And if you're worried about someone... And yes, I think giving a player, uh, um, an animal companion, human intelligence is just hurting for... is just asking for trouble. But if your player really wants that, maybe talk to them about why and figure out what like what will work between the two of you to make that happen. Um, alternately, and I, I have done this, uh, animal companions with human intelligence are really good char- one-shot characters for partners and friends who maybe don't know what your hobby is and would like to find out. Uh, it's stupid, but it works. Um, so I can, I can totally see that. Yeah, like, I've had many friends and partners play my animal companions. <laughs> um, I don't know what that says about me. Uh, but the... <laughs> that could get tacky. <laughs> That's for a different stream. Uh, the, the point, my point being, like, if you want, if you desperately need to, it, like, if you need to metagame something, metagame it. it there's no reason you shouldn't and like all of my answers like there may be a miscommunication when it comes to your animal companion i also think that it's just a pain in the butt to keep track of two stats so i also just want to real quick um go back to i think i think i i didn't hear this episode but i'm guessing based on uh his reaction that one of the solutions was um, to to try and overbalance um, uh, the t- the party so that um, having a companion isn't too much of, a, of an advantage. Was that? Uh, I'm no, it up right now. sort of boiled down between um, the things a, a, a part the player character plays it or it's a DMPC. Oh ah oh okay or an NPC. <laughs> okay, well then um, then what I was going to say doesn't relate at all. So. And does... Oh, sorry. I yield my time. Fuck you. Well, what he basically <laughs> said was is it was a hybrid of the two, which is it's a player character and then it becomes a DMPC if you fail your animal handling role, which is I think that's you, great. you combine the two, and it really is a good solution. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. I like it a lot. Also, if someone's animal companion is giving you trouble, there are consequences for those actions. Like... Oh, god damn it, I brought that shirt! Oh, shoot. Um... Like I love the I love the anecdote that you added where Bruno jumped into a portal and then you spent the rest of your life trying to decide whether or not that was your game deciding whether or not Bruno was evil. That's an awesome thing because, you know, now you have a little plot hook and it just lives with you forever. I think in Elder Scrolls there's a dog that comes up that can talk to you and you and you begin to wonder if the dog is like what's up with the dog, the talking dog. It's very yeah. And it may or may not be good, but um, yeah. Suddenly Bruno comes back and you're like, is Bruno? <laughs> yeah, okay, l- l- let me read an excerpt from the original email. I had a different player who was a... Uh, wait. Uh, let me explain. Uh, I had one player who played a ranger with a hawk companion. He worked out a big pixel yes-no system of communication. Green skins, lots few, and could make gestural answers as the GM playing the hawk. Uh, everybody enjoyed it and as part of the story. It spoiled me. I had a different player who was a terminal thespian. Uh, he ran a thief who had a dog. The dog could apparently read and do algebra. At one point, the thief was knocked out for a time, and the dog went on without him. After about Peabody and Sherman. Right. After about the 30th time of pointing out that the that dogs can't read very well and really have trouble with doorknobs, I called an early dinner break out of frustration. Over dinner, I had to talk with the other players. Da, 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 da. So that's one of those situations. So yeah, th- I mean that was a that was a player exploiting the thing. And the thing, the fact is, I mean, and we learned this early on. The the you're playing with the wrong people answer to someone's problems is very often not on the table. Yeah, and live, I get that. If you live someplace, I mean, right now everyone can play remote, so you're not as stuck as you would be if you were playing in a face-to-face game, I suppose. But if you're in a fa- if you're in a remote area and there's only you know eight people who play role-playing games and you've already you know played with some of them and you just end up with this is the best I got. So 
And it's also, I mean, unless it's really egregious, it's really awkward to vote someone off the island. I mean, it's oh, yeah. really hard for the whole group. They're like, we'll just play with them. I, even, I, I don't, I don't want to confront. You know, I, again, I, I, like I'm not saying don't play with people. I'm saying sometimes there's a miscommunication. Right. Um, no, I'm talking about his right. uh, his his response. Oh yeah. His the the, the uh, Dirk's response to the yeah. Thing. Um, it's, sometimes it really is just a tone miscommunication. I have them a lot. Uh, but, um, with people who, uh, first of all, you can also be a, be a firm DM and say, Hey, my game, your dog can't do algebra. Like, is this a Mr. Ed situation? No opposable thumbs. That should be fine. If you want to go through the physics of how the dog opens the handle with his nose, you can try. Right. Roll for it. All right. I, I've actually on things like that where it's like I don't know what kind of door handle it is. I'll just roll a d, uh, like right, you know, a d six, and be like, okay, uh, odds it's a it's a chicha chicha evens. It's a it's a chicka chicka. So yeah, like the lever style <laughs> around doorknobs can be real hard for a dog to get through that. But a exactly. lever style, a lot of dogs prefer. Yeah, a chicka chicka is fine. It's, it's the chicha chicha that's that's right. the problem. And they can't, and they, their teeth are slippery, so they can't bite the doorknob and turn it either because their teeth just slip on the on the. It doorknob. would be annoying and hilarious to do a lassie situation. <laughs> <laughs> so I would have gone and saved Timmy if he fell down the well, but I was stuck in the house and couldn't turn the doorknob. It's hello, <laughs> no thumbs. <laughs> Timmy right. died. Lassie, where were you? Stuck in the goddamn house because you put the doorknobs on. Nothing else. Timmy can, can take me with him if he wants to go walking near wells. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Dirk, for the email. Uh, scared Thank of pickup uh, pick games from Byron. That's me. Go. Um, hello. Happiest of Jackers. Recently, the last year or so, I had started running RPGs online for some friends, and I had truly enjoyed it. We played through Chariot of the Gods, and everyone enjoyed the inevitable inevitable betrayals. Alien okay. mode. I'm not familiar with Chariot of the Gods. Is anybody? Because if you're not, I'm going to look it up while you guys are reading. Well, okay, there was a, there, the Chariot of the wasn't Chariot of the Gods uh, a, a documentary about? Oh yeah, aliens? no, I remember the original movie. I actually went and no. saw it. It was like a sort of a conspiracy theory movie right, about yeah, yeah. building the pyramids and aliens and all of that. But it sounds like there's a game, so I'm going to look it up. Carry on. I'm looking it up. It uh, carrying right. on. But now, I am hooked, and I want to run more games and more systems. Cue lighting and thunder in the background. <laughs> However, the lovable band of assholes I call friends all have lives and families, and all that, all that comes along with it. <clears throat> on top of that, we are all homebound, so our games were fairly regularly interrupted by our own gremlins running around. After initially managing to meet four times, scheduling has been interesting. But I want more. I have started humoring the idea of putting up a figurative sign in the Happy Jacks land or RPPR land and seeing if other people can satisfy certain urges. <laughs> but I am mildly spectrumy and socially anxious. Hi, friend. And the thought of a pickup group, pug, ha, got there, is mildly terrifying, even within communities of people who seem like I would get along with. With. <clears throat> I know stopping for two minutes to fix a Minecraft-related tragedy, or uh, I don't understand. Prente Lego? I don't know. Well, it's it's some that. other game that Prente- you're playing when you should be role-playing. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, related annihilation is cool with my friends, but it would but would it fly with people? I don't know. I guess my other concern is, man. Do I have a taffy-like RPG collection? Even more frighteningly, I've read probably 75%, well, before the BLM bundles came out, of the stuff I have at one point or another. Then do I want to try running One Roll Engine and PBTA and Blades in the Dark and then, then, then. Um, yeah, I, I'll try to relate, buddy. <laughs> I know much of this comes down to communication and expectation setting, but I kind of feel like putting it all out there sounds like an awkward dating profile. Late 30s, Bumbling Ogre seeks like-minded individuals for adventures through time and space. I will provide some kind of structured experience, but pr- but probably it's probably okay rules a fair amount. I like letting paper players make their own beds. I don't like pretending to be your significant other or having things happen to kids. Uh, TLDR, I am a socially anxious 40-ish year old nerd who really likes running games but finds the prospect of doing so with strangers terrifying. Any suggestions? I know y'all have lot have run a lot of con games. 
thanks, Byron. Probably James D. Grizz in some forum on a forum or a communication server near you. P.S. Uh, I realize the advice is probably just to do it and communicate well, but who knows? You all might have the meaning of life to the universe and everything. It's 42. Uh, hidden away somewhere. Also, his username is... Spoilers! James. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. That book. Uh, God, when, when was How that dare book you spoil a 30 year old book? <laughs> Might be 40. I, I was oh. going to say, I think that book is older than me, which makes it just about 40. Mm. Um, uh, but James DeGriz's username is spelled James, like the name James, J A M E S. DeGriz. D I G R I Z. James the Gray. Oh. Um. I, I kind of get his idea, the whole thing about social anxiety. For I, I love playing massive multi online games, but I only really like soloing because I've been burned enough and been in enough terrible pickup groups or even normal groups that it's just not fun. You're like, either I failed the group and they're mad at me, or somebody else has failed the group and you're trying to be cool with it and everything, but it's like you're stuck on some raid now with this some douchebag. And, and yeah, and then you're just like, I don't. The raids aren't fun, and I don't want to do this anyway because I don't know any of these people. And me, so I, I get it. And then, you know, if you're like a typical nerd, sort of socially awkward anyway, uh, it's hard to initiate the whole thing. Like, you get the courage to go and do it. Cons are a good place to do it because everybody there is kind of socially awkward. But the other thing I would suggest is um, go on to the Happy Checks forum and post because at least you're going to be amongst people that are pretty cool. Um, my daughter Emily ended up hooking up with a bunch of Happy Jacks listeners, and it's not part. It's not on the podcast, but she ended up gaming with them, and she's I think gaming with them right now, uh-huh. and is having a great time. And they're everybody's being polite. Everybody's really nice. She's having a really great game time, and she just did it independent of me. She didn't do it through me or anything, but I think she just found all these Happy Jacks players. So, if you at least maybe use our forums as a jumping off point, you're going to meet some cool people, and you can probably play some online games without worrying too much about. You know, the douchebags have already been filtered out. How's that? Yeah, um, one of the reasons that I stopped playing game, tabletop games for a long time is because um, I, uh, I I just didn't know anybody to play with, um, and so uh, I would you know I would have loved to be able to go and be like, okay, well, what kind of what kind of game are you trying to run? What kind of players are you looking for? Because you know. Uh, be, be, uh, so I think that kind of transparency would be really cool. Um, I would really appreciate that. It's hard, though, when you're socially awkward to actually ask those questions and, and then have the courage to do it. It's easier to not go out and seek out a game because it's hard and scary and hope, hope one lands in your lap than it is to you know go out and do all the work to do it. But, again, if you're stuck at home anyway or you're on the computer – there is at least that distancing and you don't have to be commit too hard to it. So that, I think now is a great time a topic for the forum too mm-hmm. yeah. is mm-hmm. for everybody to kind of discuss. What would you want to know? Or the discord. We have a thriving discord right. as well. Oh, yeah. uh, Can we do a channel? That's just like DMing personals. Cause that'd be awesome. I liked that format. It probably, it's probably already there. That's they, true. Uh, Hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. The original, I guess the radio play predated the, Novel, yeah, yes, 1978, so it's 42 years old. Yes, <laughs> wow, so it is um, older than me. And I looked up the alien or the the it's alien of the RPG, it's yeah, it well, it's yeah, it's a it's an offshoot of um, the Modifus, how do you pronounce it? Modifius, Modifius, the Modifius, 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 yes, Modifius, it must be, um, gaming system, and it's a it's like. It looks like an add-on for the alien. Um, yeah, it says here, Alien RPG, Chariot of the Gods. Scenario for the alien RPG. So there it is. Okay. Cool. Um, let me... Uh, oh, oh, go ahead. Go, go. go. Oh, I'm a female presenting person with a very squeaky voice. I fully understand not wanting to game with strangers. Um, that said, would it help... And I'm, I'm sure these resources exist, but would it help if, like... Some people in Happy Jacks or um, anywhere else you kind of trust gave you put out uh, Google Docs that are like lines and veil documents or um, 
some basic safety tool rules or expectation rules because I just uh, for me I had I had to make one for a game recently um, but I just made a little chart that's you know lines veils and I forget what the green one is uh, wishes and uh, I sent that to players recently and it helped really establish what the expectations of the game were going to be so that I knew very it was very um, it was very seamless. I didn't have to talk to anyone, uh, and I was able to get the responses I needed from the players I was going to have. Uh, so maybe that would make it a little easier to reach out once you sort of are moving in that direction. Because it sounds like you have a game you want to play, um, and you're just trying to establish your boundaries with people for that. Um, the other, other suggestion is to do a one-shot at JackerCon. Oh, yeah. Which happens every now and again, and you you only have to commit for a couple hours, and and then if you like some of those people, you can continue a relationship with them and maybe actually right. do an online game with them. Yeah, the, 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 there's nothing but upsides to gaming with strangers. <clears throat> sometimes, sometimes you learn not to game with that person anymore. Well, yeah. you'll, you've all you'll worst case scenario, you get a horror story you can send to us to read on. We can read it. Yes. On <laughs> The, the thing I learned, uh, the thing that got me to start playing at cons was, worst case, like, if, if it gets that bad, you never have to see these people again. Right. And the, and the internet's beautiful because you can block people. Right. The, the, the thing is, having played in games where other people are GMing, I've learned a lot of different sort of, sorts of techniques, GMing techniques from them. Almost everyone that I've that I've ever been in a game with, who when someone else has run it, they did something a little differently than I'm because I'm kind of a creature of habit. Then they they did something a little different. Like, oh, that's an interesting way to handle that. So I've always learned something. Sometimes the sometimes the lesson is don't ever play with that person again. But <laughs> often it's an it's it's an actual legitimate upside that doesn't have anything to do with the content of our podcast. I also, <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry, that was that was a big <laughs> a big pause in my brain. Um, I think it's also valuable to um, uh, to to have those kinds of experiences um, and to you know sometimes if they're if it's really bad sometimes you want to share it with your friends so that they know maybe don't play with that dude. Right. So it's like real dating. Eventually, you'll have a bunch of really fun war stories, <laughs> <laughs> and I assume a game group you'll want to play with. Right. right. Or not. I don't know. Teaching a crunchier system from Eric in New Jersey. <clears throat> Who has not read? Clara. Oh, man. It's like short. Sad. It's short. Hey there, Jackers. Again, I hope all is well. This will be short and sweet. I hope. I want to teach my players the Mutant Chronicles using Mo- Mophius? Mophius? We just talked about Mophius. Yeah. Uh, 2D20 system. Uh, because it's what, that's what they expressed interest in. We are playing virtually right now, so we can't pass the book around. How the heck do I properly communicate how the rules work, because it's crunchy, uh, in such an environment? I don't want to rewrite th- all the rules from the book onto a cheat sheet, if I can avoid it. I have a dead tree copy of the rules. Okay. Anyway, that's pretty much it. Stay safe, stay drunk, stay diverse. Sincerely, Eric from New Jersey. Um... Uh... Check out Drive Through RPG for sure. Somebody may have already made a cheat sheet. Um, uh, again, oh, my my uh, my GM um, he made a vampire uh, <clears throat> Chronicles of Darkness. Um, not yeah, Chronicles of Darkness cheat sheet years ago that he just keeps updating, and he gets like uh, he, it's it's like a donate as you go, and he gets like thirty dollars a month from it of people just being like, hey, this is cool. So, um, but but a lot of people, especially people who really love this, their uh, the systems that they're playing in, will upload a, a cheap sheet on uh, Drive Yeah, and and even a lot of you find them free on on the internet too. Yeah. Uh, the and, and I I've I have found when I'm going to learn when I'm learning a new system, the first thing I do well first thing I do is make characters, but after that then I go through and I start making a cheat sheet. Paging through the rule book, finding out how does how does dice resolution work, what's difficulties and stuff like whatever. However, however the system works, to try to boil it down to one page, 
that's one of the way, ways I learn how to how to run it. Then I can hand that to the players. But if he doesn't want to take the time to do that, there may be one out there already. Well, I'm actually looking at the Modifus site because we happen to be on it from the last email, <coughs> and right here they actually have a, somebody's got a quick start Conan rules. Um, so a lot of this stuff is already there if you just do a little bit of googling and searching. The other thing that uh, occurred to me was one, the way I like to, if I'm system curious is I'll go search for some actual plays to see if it's something that I like before I drop the 70, 80 bucks on all the books or whatever it is. Because uh, I want to see how the game plays. I want to see how you play it. I want to see some of the rules. And and, and then, unless you buy the book and then, like what Stu does and roll up characters and spend the time learning it yourself, sometimes I just want to see how that goes. And if you find a really good little actual play, you can send that link to your players. So it's like, please, everybody watch this so that we all have a general idea of how these rules work before we start playing. <clears throat> and um, that helps me a lot, because it's nice to be able to watch it all happening with, and you can see it happening and explain it, and you don't have to sit around and go, okay, I got this, and now on what page do I look that up for? Because that's a really hard way to learn. We had a, uh, Something that... Go ahead. Uh, something that one of my friends is doing with his party that I just remembered, um, they're learning um, D&D, which is one of the crunchiest of systems. And um, what he did is um, uh, he started off with just... Um, uh, uh, just just like the basic rules, like this is how you roll to attack. This is how this is how you roll for damage. This is, um, you know, this these are these are the things that you can do during combat, and then started adding on things like economy, and then um, it was <clears throat> battle tactics, and then it was um, things like uh, uh, making making people move, you know, use their move correctly and so like just like every week he would add another thing so it wasn't just all the rules at once and you can do that if if you know the system pretty well that's we did that exact same thing with GURPS which is an extremely crunchy system oh yeah and started out with what they call the basic combat which is very simple doesn't need to even really use maps and at least it didn't. And uh, and we, what we would would slowly would introduce not every week, but we would introduce. Let's say, okay, I, I just happened to read something about shock. So now anyone who doesn't have high doesn't have the high pain th- threshold advantage. You're gonna whatever damage you take in in turn one, you have that many negatives to everything you do in turn two. Isn't that fantastic? And suddenly you had the one guy who bought high pain threshold and didn't realize and and figured he'd wasted the fifteen points for it went. I'm really glad I bought that. <laughs> that that made fights end super fast. The first guy that hits right. is the guy that wins. Um, and then we did the, we did the same thing with with the, like you're talking about with movement because we the, the, you have a certain move and you would turn hexes and move squares and and all of that stuff and we we would sort of add those things and, and as we were and we as we added them, the group was small enough where we all picked it up right away. And uh, by the time, you know, that campaign had been going for probably four months, five months, we were playing full-on every, all the rules, everything, even the optional stuff. To, and, that, and that's a lot of stuff in GURPS. Yeah. But it, was, it was nice because we all knew it because we'd all learned it sort of organically as we went along. That's what, awesome. That I think is probably, for him, if he doesn't want to make a cheat sheet, that's probably his best bet. Sorry. Oh. I've, I've, I've been having uh, flashbacks to Second Star, so um, just, like, leave me here. Uh, <laughs> I don't do crunchy games. Uh, I, I will say that uh, there was a reason I played uh, my character, my security officer, the way I did. And it was because I, I understood pew and no pew. <laughs> pew pew! Yeah. Uh, it occurs to me, too, that a, a lot of games... Uh, systems, especially crunchy systems, they usually have a little sample adventure in the back of the book or included with it or online or something. And if you're sitting down with a group and you're all learning a new system, it's a good idea to do it. It's just like when you're playing, when you buy a video game, you have to go through the tutorial to figure out the controls. So it's very similar sometimes to run that little adventure first so you can figure out the controls so that, you know, like halfway through the game you go, I didn't know I could jump. I've been, I've been like walking around stuff this whole time. I didn't know. That's why I highly recommend a session zero uh, uh, that yeah. you as, uh, that you require your players to be sober for the entire time. That's yes. you know what I will amend, I will add on to that. It's like yes, have a session zero where you all discuss the game and you discuss the rules and 
work out this stuff ahead of time because otherwise it's going to be a long slog where you, the GM, are the only one who knows the rules and nobody's paying attention because you know, they just want to kill shit. Right. I really encourage your players to buy the book as well, even. Um, if they don't like it, I'm sure they know somebody who will, or you can sell it to a friend, or if it's a PDF, it tends to be cheaper. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I would never condone someone breaking the law. But Google the book. Well, I'm looking at their site, and they have a <laughs> lot of different options for buying and different games and such. So yeah. it looks like this is a well-supported game company. I'm sure they have all kinds of formats available for you and your players. Sure. My brain just said that the the, the D- 2D20 system wasn't that crunchy, and I may just have been playing it wrong, which I, I, will, like, I will own immediately. Well, I cut I cut my teeth on D and D three point five and GURPS. Nothing is crunchy to me. Nah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Once you yeah, well, I mean, Heroes probably crunchier. Heroes kind of ridiculous. Oh uh, yeah, no, yeah, Heroes was it was a step crunchier, and I was like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> space Opera was ridiculous. That was six, a lot of you had to pay that stuff forward. There was a hours, long time of character creation, but six, after that, like six it hours of characters in that, in that yeah. game. I'm oh. so scared of GURPS. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not that you, bad. You know what? As we've said before, especially when, you, when you've got somebody like Mook or Stu, they absorb all the rules and they just tell you. They just say, hmm, roll some dice. And then they tell you what, what that means. All right, so you, you didn't go into shock, roll again. Okay, now you get to hit. And you're like, okay, and it makes it easy. It only comes tricky when it's like, all right, roll dice, and then tell me, tell me. You know what, what you're doing, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what the value for shock is. Do you know what it is? And that's when it gets awful, right? Um, I, I played Gurps with the Mook, and it was the most streamless thing. And I think I, I played it with Stu as well. Same thing. He just they just know what steps are happening in combat, and will and we'll just tell you to roll dice and to, well, and to tell you what, the, what the number is. Also, both both of us tend to sort of not include a lot of the extra optional and like the really really finicky stuff which that's why i play all my games (laughs) which which i mean if you're i mean when you're playing gurps like full-on advanced combat system when you get to combat maybe even more so than D &D, it's a board game yeah um and there's a lot of rolling per yeah one person per attack yes and that's 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 the biggest thing that that D players hate about gurps if i rolled a hit how come i didn't do any damage well he defended (laughs) Because there's an attack roll, there's a defense roll, and if the defense roll is successful, you don't get to do damage because you didn't hit. He parried or or the, or the armor soaked, so you, you didn't hit him in a lethal area, or you hit him in a heavily okay. armored area, or you just down or missed. All, all kinds of things. It's ter- yeah. it's it's and that that's the biggest culture shock between those two games. But anyway, I have that problem with D and D now, so I'm kind of like <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah, it's like, it's like oh, if I, I hit. If I, okay, if I cast Burning Hands and I grab your face, it worked. Fuck you. <laughs> the other thing I think people have with GURPS and over D&D is that they can get one-shotted. And they're like, so they walk in with their, with their oh, paladin yeah. and they're so used to wading into you know groups of kobolds and I'm the paladin and the kobold takes them down. And they're suddenly like, what? This isn't fun anymore. I'm the wait. It's like, yeah, everything everything here is, can kill you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, Just yeah. It's like you can kill them. Uh, I had a friend bring this up when we were talking about building uh, combat systems for LARP, and it, uh, they had said, "Well, what kind of do you want your combat to be? Pu- do you want this to be a heavy combat game or a light combat game?" And I was like, um, "Light." And they said, "Then you need to make combat punishing." And so it yeah. feels like with GURPS, it's like uh, with GURPS and other systems where, which is why I don't really grok D and D the way other people do. I think when combat is punishing. You don't want to do it, so you look for other solutions. Right, mm-hmm. it's true. Even yeah. with Traveler, which is a, a fairly non-crunchy game, but combat's freaking deadly. Oh, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> what do you mean this is only uh, the only hit points I have? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What do you mean it's going to take me six months to get one more point in this skill? Yeah. Wait, wait a second. I've got I got eighteen hit points, but my blaster does sixty damage. <laughs> Hold on a second here. What's going on with this game? <laughs> Yeah, how many hit po- how many hit points do you think a blaster's gonna t- give you? Like, no. Also, someone in chat uh, brought up that Seventh C has uh, a, 
the com- crunchy combat, and now I'm sad because I really want to play a Seventh Sea game, and now I'm scared. If it's similar, <laughs> if it's similar to L Five R, it's not that crunchy. I'm not. I don't know if it is though. I I contend that all games have a have a crunch factor to them. I oh, mean, yeah. they're all of them oh, crunchy yeah. in their own ways. Uh, it's just some people grok certain systems faster than others, just for whatever reason, the way their mind is wired. But I mean, I find that all games there's a there's a a learning curve that is sometimes steeper than others, but it's always hard. It's, it's never like, oh, this is easy, and you get it immediately. You have to, like, I, everybody tells me how easy fate is, and I still, mm. you know, every time I play it, I'm, I'm still working on it. It's, yeah, once you have the degree, the associate's degree in in, in fate, gaming, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty easy. I'm sorry, I dropped out. Uh, the <laughs> I need someone to put the Hello Darkness, my old friend music, over at me reading this chat, because they're like, oh, it's got 7th C, 1st edition has over 100 skills. No. Well, you don't have to take them all. I think Traveler no, I, has about that. It, it's, ah, mm. I'll figure it out. <laughs> it might. Start getting into the subsects of things, like, you know, you take oh. engineering, and then you've got drives and all that. Oh, yeah, fuck. It, it, well, talk, it branches out. We can talk about that. Yeah. Look at GURPS. GURPS probably got three or 400 skills. Easy. Yeah. Maybe more. There's probably yeah. there's probably 200 advantages and 200 well, that's just the core books, because you've right. got all those other add-ons and stuff, too. Yep. Yeah. And like any language, once you start learning it, it becomes easier to pick yeah. up. But, you know. It is. All right. We're at uh, 8.08. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and... Anything else? Anyone want to plug or anything? Uh, Claire, uh, to answer the question that came up in chat, the shirt Claire held up was a shirt I designed. Because um, whenever I say you can find me all over the internet, it's clearly golden. You actually can. Um, it's not working. It's You're not working at all. <laughs> it's not working. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Now it's working. <laughs> it's on Redbubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a skull. Keep talking. Just keep talking. <laughs> it's a skull. It says consequences because I like consequences. <laughs> so I made a shirt that had that. I, I don't have a good. Ex- there you go. Excellent. I think it's cute. That's funny. It's very cute. All right. Now you can <laughs> see that I didn't make my bed this morning. And I hope you're all happy to see that. <laughs> That's why I'm pointed at a wall. Because <laughs> laundry tray air is now laundry bed. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go ahead and, and and call it. Save us. Thank you for joining us for season 27, episode 11 of Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Stork. I'm Claire. And I'm Clara. And we'll see you next week, 7 p.m. Pacific time, happyjacks.org slash live. Thank you very much, and uh, stay safe, and enjoy your week. Thank you very much. From Michigan to Australia, and maybe East Timor, be a of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Why problem make when you no problem have you don't want to make?